Hello, and thank you for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church Maryville here in Maryville, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can visit our website to find out more information about our church or to find our full audio archive with all of our messages. So you can find all of that at www.vineyardchurch.us, or you can also subscribe on Apple and Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. All right, we're going to jump right in here to the sermon. We are in a four-part sermon series called The Gentle Answer. This is part three. Our anchor text uh, for this sermon series has been Proverbs 15, verse 1, which says this, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And as we've said along the way, I think wisdom like this has never been more needed than it is today, never been more important for us to obey a commandment like this. And unfortunately, it seems like maybe our capacity to actually live this out is on the decline. Maybe it's all but gone even. And it's unfortunate. It's just kind of like, I don't know if that's like bitter irony or what, but that's just kind of how it works out. It's just like one of those things, you know, some things are just one of those things. Like one of the things is that you cannot, it's like physically impossible to pinch your nose and hum at the same time. It's weird, doesn't seem like it should be like that, but it's just, it's just one of those things. Let me tell you something real quickly here. Um, I'll be honest, this sermon is not designed to hit every one of you right between the eyes. Instead, um, so I really believe that there is a certain subset of people who desperately need to hear what I'm about to say. And I want to encourage you because you don't know whether or not it's you, right? I want to encourage you guys all to really pay attention. I know it's so hard to pay attention where there's just some guy up there talking and talking and talking and talking. And it's so easily to get distracted. For example, just a few seconds ago, I said that you cannot pinch your nose and hum at the same time. Some of you haven't heard a word I said since. Because you're wondering, is that really how it goes? And can I test that in church? How do you test that in church? Let's all do it together. Mm-hmm. There you go. Now we know. <laughs> Whew. Here's the thing. That was a profoundly distracting thing that I said. That's the only one I've got planned. It's not the only one I'm going to have. <laughs> There's going to be a half a dozen more times that something really distracting is going to happen and you're going to be loose squirrel. Okay, you're gone. You're going to lose your focus. So hard to pay attention when some guy's just up there talking. But again, for some, and I don't think it's a tiny little sliver, but for a significant subset of people in the room right now, what I'm about to say, you really, really need to hear. And as of yet, you don't know if it's you. So I want to encourage you to do your best to pay attention. Last week, um, at the end of the message, I I referenced sort of this weird social dynamic that's going on. There is this increasing odd infatuation with anger itself. What's really weird to me is that hope is increasingly being placed in anger. That's our hope. Increasingly, people are saying we need anger, especially widespread anger, corporate anger. If we have a problem, what we need to solve it is an angry mob. That'll do it. That's the solution. We need a whole lot of people to be really, really angry. And hope is being placed in that dynamic, which means if you're experiencing anger, maybe you're not being talked down. Maybe instead there are people approaching you and say, oh, you're angry? Good. 
Use that. That's what you need. Channel that. Really let that build inside of you because that's how we're going to bring about real and meaningful change. That's the solution that we need. Your anger and lots of it and lots of other people's anger too. That's the solution. The trouble is, if you are even the tiniest bit compelled by the way of Jesus, you cannot possibly accept that as a solution. What with all that love your enemy talk, it just doesn't fit in the way of Christ. And so, What's happening, I think, the reason why people are starting to increasingly put hope and anger, this is me just speculating, but I think there's something to it. I think there is a huge and increasing overemphasis and misunderstanding um, around this notion of, of righteous anger, righteous indignation, which is definitely a thing. So let's zero in on that here for our time together and see if maybe the Lord would reveal something to us. I'm going to read you a few verses. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 4. We'll bounce around just a little bit, beginning with verse 26. And don't sin by letting your anger control you. So if you're a, if you're a church kid, spend some time in Sunday school, logged your hours there. You've maybe heard this, but you probably heard it translated as be angry and sin not. It's really helpful. This idea, okay, just because I'm angry doesn't mean it's sin. Be angry and sin not. One of the ways he goes on to say that you can sin while anger is like this. Next line, don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Have you ever heard the advice, don't go to bed mad? That's from the Bible. Don't let your anger stretch from one day into the next. Now, I know that none of us have ever done any of that except for me. I did it, true story, last week. Don't ask me about it. It's still a little raw. I did it last week. I'm not even messing with you. Like, Three to four days ago, I literally went to bed angry. It's hard to not have your anger carry from one day to the next. Here's sort of the antidote, verses 31 and 32. Get rid of, oh, let me, oh, I missed verse 27. This one should get our attention. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. Whew. That should get your attention. I'm not even sure what that means. It doesn't sound good, though, does it? Verse 31, now we can get there. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander as well as, you know, why we're at it, all types of evil behavior. Let's just cut it all out. Verse 32, instead, like, like be kind to each other and tenderhearted. Like, actually forgive one another because God through Christ has forgiven you. So here's, among other things, what this text I think makes very, very clear is that there is a place for anger. There is a place for anger, but there is no place for letting that anger control you. There is no place for harboring that anger day, reading it to day, running it to day, weeks and into months. It is allowed to visit. It is not allowed to move in. Now, I want to be very clear and don't misunderstand me. There are lots of things in this world that should make you angry, and I mean very angry. I want to be clear about this as well. God is our model for that. God is angry at sin. He's angry at sin because it hurts people and he loves people. And if God is angry at sin that hurts the people that he loves, then we should be angry about sin that hurts the people we love, the people that God loves, which is everyone. And I want to be clear about this as well. That anger should be a motivator. That anger should be a catalyst. It should stir you up. It, it, it should move you forward. It should activate you. And that's all well and good. It really is. But the question is, and listen, this really is the question. The question is, what will your anger give birth to? 
What will your anger give rise to? Listen closely. Jesus' anger against sin led him to the greatest act of sacrificial love the world will ever know. He died to pay the price for us all. And if we're going to follow Jesus' example and be outraged by sin, then we also must follow Jesus' example of love and mercy, forgiveness, and sacrifice as the net result of our anger, as the outcome of our anger, what it gives rise to. And listen, your anger may very well be a righteous anger. That's a real thing. Most anything I've done in my life that has turned out to matter at all was born from a holy discontent, from a righteous anger. If you feel anger, it could very well be from God himself, but maybe not. And the truth is, if you're, if you're gonna stay with me, let's do it. It's actually really easy to tell whether or not you're dealing with righteous anger or unrighteous anger. And I'll just say this as a quick sidebar here. Um, look, man, if you just like came to church today to check the church box and you're just hoping I shut up in time for you to beat the Baptist to Applebee's, then, <laughs> then fine, fine, that's okay. This isn't for you. <laughs> but if you came to church today in hopes to like actually do some work with the Lord and maybe see something that you couldn't see before, then you're gonna wanna lean in and listen very closely right now. If your anger is of the Spirit, then it will bear the fruit of the Spirit. And class, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if your anger does not give rise to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, it's not righteous anger period. If it is of the Spirit, it will bear the fruit of the Spirit. And I know it. Do you know how I know it? James 1 verse 20, human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. That's how I know it. Human anger cannot bear the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. I think I skipped a couple that time. It does not bear that fruit. It cannot bear that fruit. The word of God itself says human anger cannot bear that kind of fruit. If your anger gives rise to the fruit of the Spirit, it is of the Lord. If it is not, it is not. If it's your anger, it will give rise to something awful. If it's godly anger, it will give rise to something beautiful and hopeful and redemptive and healing. And if you're willing to lean in and be honest with yourself right now, it is really easy to tell the difference. And listen, I wanna be very clear about this. You can feel human anger, sinful anger, and you can experience sinful anger over something that should give you righteous anger. All right, and you need to catch this. You can't just call it righteous anger because it's tied to a righteous cause. Do you understand? 
Just because it's tied to a righteous cause does not at all guarantee that your response to it will be righteous anger. It means it has, there's a potential for it to be righteous anger. It is no guarantee of that. Let me give you an extreme example because extreme examples help illustrate points. Someone says, I have a righteous anger against abortion. Okay, well, so do I. What did you do about it? Well, bless God, I blew up an abortion clinic. Yeah, no, that's not righteous anger. It's not righteous anger. Like that's distorted and twisted and wicked and evil. A righteous cause. A righteous cause like defending the unborn is no guarantee of righteous anger. No guarantee. So, kind, loving, wonderful people whom I love, Don't justify sitting in your anger day after day, ruminating it, the sun going down on it again and again, while looking down on people who aren't as mad about it as you are and should be as mad about it as you are while you adjust your halo like that's not the goal. Maybe a slightly less extreme example. Somebody says, I have anger against the mistreatment of immigrants. Well, good. I do too. What did you do about it? I'll tell you what I did about it. I acted like a total and complete jerk on social media. I mean, I lit some people up and I chewed out a few family members just for good measure because I think I know how they voted. And if I know how they voted, I definitely know exactly how they feel about immigration. So I let them have it too. Bless God. (laughs) Yeah, no, just no. Like that's not righteous anger. It's just, It's just being a jerk. It's just being awful. Can I tell you something that's like a huge pet peeve of mine? Can I? Is this a safe place? Okay. (sighs) Give me a second. I mean, when this happens, I just see red, man. It's a real pet peeve of mine when people act like the spawn of Satan from the pit of hell, and then they blame it on Jesus. Ooh, don't do that. You're making me sin now. Don't do that. It's so very simple. There's a litmus test. It's black and white. It's pass, fail. Very simple. What fruit does it bear? Period. No. Exclamation point. No, it's a question. Question mark. I just have moments like that. It's not, do you think that's in my notes? I don't, anyway, just got real confused. Here's another litmus test. If your spouse, if that's your story, or your best friends, the people who know you best, if they would get together and all agree together that your anger over a particular issue has made you and the world better, then you can know and be at peace that you have followed the heart of God. If not, then repent. Repent. And let God shape your heart. And let God, who only, he's the only one who can, let God heal you. And stop blaming your angst on him. So um, here's the thing. Maybe you're like um, a good bit of folks. Like this is not a rare thing. And you've, you've kind of maybe grown comfortable with your anger. 
cozied up to it. Maybe because you believed it to be righteous. And because you believed it to, re- to be righteous, you justified harboring it. And then the sun's gone down on that anger a time or two, or maybe a hundred times or two. If that's the case, I, w- I want to be clear, you are not anywhere near alone. We're not going to do a show of hands, but you've got company in the very room that you're in. You're not alone. It is human nature to cling to your pain, and it is human nature to cling to your anger. It's like a warm blanket for a wounded soul. It just is, and it's a really easy trap to fall into. I want to give you a warning, though. Uh, This is from a guy we quote all the time around here, but it's been a while. Frederick Beekner. Remember him? We haven't heard from Freddie Beeks in quite a while, so don't worry. I saved up, and here's a really good one. Listen closely. And while we read it, give yourself a little bit of space that it might actually have something to do with you. Here we go. Of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel, both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. I didn't even need a drink then. I just did that for dramatic effect. (laughs) Wanted that to settle in for a second. All right, we're going to say a couple more things here. Uh, Take a minute or two to break them down um, about godly anger, and then we'll call it for the week. Here's the first one, and don't miss it. Godly anger is slow. Trying to figure out whether or not our, our anger is righteous anger, whether or not it's justified, whether or not we get to sit with it. Here's a really clear, another one of those litmus tests that will just let us know. Number one, godly anger is slow. Psalm 103, verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. And James 1:19, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. It's very simple. God is slow to anger, and we, his children, must also be slow to anger. Godly anger is slow. It's not impulsive. It is not reactive. It is not retaliatory. It is not punitive. It is not defensive. Um, Here's a little game we could play, just for the brave among us, okay, on your own time. If you're feeling brave and you actually want to get serious about this stuff, um, maybe make a list of your friends or people who know you best, spend the most time with you, and then strike off the ones on that who won't have the courage to tell you the absolute truth, and then take the ones that are left on that list and sit them down and look them right square in the eyes and ask them, am I quick to anger? Do you experience me as someone who is quick to anger? And if the answer is yes, maybe you should take that really seriously. And if the answer is yes, and that absolutely infuriates you, then that's a confirmation. (laughs) They are telling the truth. (laughs) 
I want so much to be slow to anger, and I just want to acknowledge that it is really, really hard to be slow to anger, especially when you're hurting. Um, if you want to be more slow to anger, I've got a little life hack for that that will help you, but I will warn you in advance, it's hard to do. Here's what you can do if you would like to be slow to anger. You need to get in touch with your own capacity for evil. Um, <laughs> before you run off to just be outraged by that horrible person or those horrible people, just pause for a second and choose to believe the very clear teaching of the Bible that every single one of us has the capacity for every kind of evil, including you. Yes, you. Even if you're just precious, you know? You're just one of those adorable people that you just can't get enough of. Yes, even you. Even if you're super successful, because if you're super successful, people don't have the courage to tell you about your own mess, so you don't know. I'm telling you, even you. Even if you're hot, like really hot, really hot people don't get this message. This could be very hard for you to accept. If you're super, and there's a lot of attractive people in the room right now, this is going to be a tough one for you. Even you. Even if you're funny and winsome and well-liked and popular, I want to be very clear. You have the capacity for every single kind of evil. And I could prove that to you from the Bible or from human history, whichever you prefer. Both are crystal clear. All right, let me read you another quote. This one's really good too. I've only got two today, but they are slamming. All right, you ready? Lean in. G.K. Chesterton. No man is really any good until he knows how bad he is or might be, till he's realized exactly how much right he has to all this snobbery and sneering and talking about criminals as if they were apes in a forest 10,000 miles away, till he's squeezed out of his soul the last drop of the oil of the Pharisees, until his only hope is somehow or other to have captured the one criminal and kept him safe and sane, the one under his own hat. So before you go on a crusade, start taking out criminals. Start changing things. Just hit pause for a minute and realize Step one is to take care of the criminal you see in the mirror every day. Once you realize that the phrase, I would never do that, once you realize that is only the words of a fool, you'll find it a whole lot easier to be slow to anger because you will realize that whatever they did, there's a good chance that you in the same circumstances, with the same background, with the same set of hurts and weaknesses, would do the same thing or worse if you were in the exact same position. Here's another thing about anger. Number two, godly anger. Remember, we're trying to figure out if ours is righteous or not. Godly anger tilts really heavily toward compassion. I mean, it, it just, 
if it's to be the anger of the Lord, it leans so hard into mercy. Last week, we looked at this incredible thing that Jesus said. He said, you should love your enemies. But what's way more profound than that is the fact that Jesus didn't just say that. He actually did it. He did it. There's a few points in the Bible that whenever I read through it, I just find myself just dumbstruck. I just have to sit there and picture it. And one of the places that I'm always stuck, I have to hit pause and try to take in, that, did that really just happen? It's this moment when Christ was being tortured more than we can ever fathom, and Jesus stops in the midst of all of that chaos and agony, and he asks his Father in heaven to forgive the people who were literally driving nails through his hands and his feet. And I just go, Luke 23, 34, Father, Father, forgive them. Because they don't, they don't know. They don't know. All this agony and suffering, and in the midst of it, he thought of the people around them, and he said this, they don't, they don't know what they're doing. God, please show mercy to these people because they have no idea. And I want you to please don't miss this. This is so profound from Scripture. They were ignorant That's what he's saying. They didn't know. They were ignorant. And Jesus used their ignorance as an excuse for mercy. I hope you can see how profound that is. I hope you can see how countercultural and rare and beautiful that is. Because I look around, see it feels like the world over. And what I see again and again and again is all these people who is using the ignorance of other people as an excuse to show them wrath and outrage and disdain and judgment. But Jesus saw the ignorance of people as an excuse to show them mercy that's profoundly different. Hopefully we're pushing and working together to try to love our enemies and to lean really hard toward compassion and mercy. And here's a rule of thumb for that that I think might be helpful. Um, We need to assume the worst so that we can assume the best. We need to assume the worst so that we can assume the best. And this is what I mean by that. And you you already know this information, but it is the wisdom of God to know and acknowledge that there is just tremendous deep pain or confusion or ignorance or loss or unfair treatment. There's something like that sitting underneath and influencing the actions of the people who hurt us. We know that. It's so hard to step out into the world wearing those lenses, but we know that. The wrongs that people do, the things that hurt you, we know, they don't happen in a vacuum. They don't happen in a vacuum. We all know this. We probably even know the little slogans that go with it. Hurting people hurt people. It's true. Hurting people hurt people. Broken people break stuff. In the way of Jesus, and don't think for a second, I'm telling you this is easy. I'm just telling you it's clear. The way of Jesus is to accept that reality, to break that cycle by refusing to retaliate, by insisting upon mercy, by demanding of yourself that you not add to that person's pain by retaliating to cause them more pain, 
but instead you assume the best of them by choosing to assume the worst of their past. Assume the best of them by choosing to assume the absolute worst of what they were bringing into that moment. It just changes the way you move out into the world. I got a couple more things to say, but David, you can come on up and maybe help us close this thing out. Um, I'm going to say it again. Jesus is, I know I've already said this, it just needs to be repeated. Jesus' gentle answer to sin, the thing that angered him, was to sacrifice his life, suffer in ways we cannot begin to fathom, and to take on the punishment that we deserve. And if we are to be the people of God, then our gentle answer has to be the same. And it's hard. It's just so hard to do. To absorb the blows. To remain kind. To be slow to anger. To lean really hard into mercy and compassion. It's so hard, but listen, it's so profoundly beautiful. And it's more powerful than anything I could ever begin to articulate. When you break the cycle of retaliation, when you assume that the people who have hurt you or are hurting you, that makes it even harder when it's ongoing. You choose to assume the worst of their past, things that maybe you can't even begin to comprehend because you haven't walked a mile in their shoes. You assume the worst of the past so that you can choose to assume the best of them so that you can still lean hard into mercy and kindness. But in order to do that, we might need to change our lenses. We might need even, I don't mean to be dramatic, but like a paradigm shift, a new way of seeing the world. Here's what it means. You have to stop being friends with your anger. It's not your friend. It means, if this is where you're at, opening your eyes to see that righteous anger only gives birth to righteousness. If it's of the Spirit, it will bear the fruit of the Spirit. And if not, it's your enemy. If your anger does not lead you to kindness, I'm telling you, it will be your downfall. Back to Freddie Beeks, y'all. The skeleton at the feast is you. Guys, Jesus' anger against his executioners was righteous. He was innocent. He did not deserve what was being given to him. And he was genuinely angry. He was fully God and he was fully man. He had no choice but to be angry as he suffered in that moment. Remember limbic system? He's in excruciating agony. His body is flooded with adrenaline just trying to stay lucid. His anger was real and it was righteous, but his response was even more righteous. It was mercy. It was forgiveness. One more time, Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. We're going to have Selah as we do every week, a couple of minutes to reflect on our own. And if you'll allow me, I would like to direct the first couple minutes of that, and then we'll have time 
to seek the Lord in silence. So I want to encourage you now to take whatever posture will best help you focus. For me, that usually means closing my eyes and bowing my head so I'm not looking around, but that's by no means necessary. Whatever will help you create some space to be honest with yourself. It's a quick little activity. It's not a fun one, but I wonder if you could sort of make a quick little list in your mind of the things that really kind of set you off. What are the things that, man, they get you? You might be able to think of a couple pretty quickly. And now maybe with one or two or three of those things in mind, would you take a second and evaluate your response? What is your typical response to that thing or those things? Now here's the really clear litmus test. We're going to find out whether or not this is godly anger. It's the hardest question. What fruit does it bear? Your response to those things to set you off. If it's of the Spirit, it will bear the fruit of the Spirit. Is your response love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? If so, be affirmed. If not, then hear the loving voice of the Lord saying, that's not righteous anger. And you're not just hurting the person you're speaking to, you're hurting yourself. You are the skeleton at the feast. Maybe we could also ask this question, another litmus test. Are you slow to anger? Godly anger is slow. It's not reactive. It's not retaliatory. It's thoughtful. It's prayerful. It leans into the heart of Christ. And then it moves us forward to do that which is right. Are you slow to anger? Are you quick to anger? And as you consider your response, maybe you could also ask yourself, are you leaning hard toward mercy and compassion? Is that where your anger leads you? I'll be honest, I can't imagine that like a whole lot of people are passing these litmus tests. And that's why we're taking a few weeks to sound the alarm on this. Anger is a really powerful emotion. It has the capacity to own us, to steal our hearts, to embitter us, to change the way we see the world, and to just take away our capacity to love the world well. And I want to take just another moment here. I, I just, in prayer, could not just get away from an expected reality that right now there's just, I, I just think there's some subset of people and I don't think it's one or two who are just like really good people. Like everybody who knows you would be like, yeah, they're great. But along the way, somehow you have sort of a groove has been worn out in your heart and you have allowed yourself to sit in your anger. You've allowed it to percolate and stew. And maybe the warnings in scripture or in life about anger haven't really gotten through because, I don't know, maybe you were justifying it as righteous anger. 
I just can't get away from the idea, though, that there are people in the room right now and not just one or two who are just suffocating in that. Just suffocating in it. In a very real way, it is stealing the vitality of your soul. And if that's the case, even a little bit, I want to encourage you to look to the Lord right now and listen, look to him first for what he first wants to offer you, which is grace, mercy, compassion. This is the Jesus, the one you're turning to now is the one that we have been saying is the example. But those who have wronged him and those who have hurt him and those who have gone astray, he leaned so hard into mercy. And a lot of people have no trouble believing that God will do that for everyone else. It's a real hard time to believe that he would do that for them. So if you're not feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that your anger is not righteous anger, look to him for what he wants to give you first, which is kindness and mercy love. If in the moment of his agony and suffering, he said, God, will you please forgive these men who are torturing me? How ready is he now to forgive and restore you? Believe the word of the Lord. He loves you. He wants to heal and restore. And he wants to usher you into something better, a life that is not controlled by anger, that is free of the burden of holding on to your hurt, where you can breathe easily rather than being suffocated by the weight of frustration and contempt that you carry. Receive the mercy of the Lord. And while he still has your gaze, let's pause now and let him give us instruction for how we move forward next, how we go his way. We've acknowledged that maybe the anger is not righteous. So what then, Jesus, would you have us do? And keep in mind, if you have accepted the forgiveness of the Lord in this moment, then you will obey him, not because you're afraid of what will happen if you don't, but because you are so overwhelmed with gratitude that he would take our righteousness like filthy rags, make us pure, redeem us, restore us, And then he would be kind enough to give us directions that will guard us from stepping into the same trap. So, I'm going to be still, allow you to pray on your own for a moment and see how the Lord would direct you next.